Welcome back to the DC Yoga Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Parkinson. We're here at the lovely Hyrick House in downtown DC in DuPont Circle. As always, my producer is Panama today, and my guest today is Whitney Patterson. Uh, she has been a student and teacher of yoga for the last 10 years. She studied many different styles. However, the traditions that have called to her most have been Ashtanga and Iyengar. She's drawn to the extensive lineages that both of these traditions maintain, and also their emphasis on the teacher-student relationship. It's been her experience that having a one-to-one -one relationship to a teacher is essential for the progress in yoga. This is what led her to focus her energy and efforts on working with one-on-one -on -one with students. She finds that students are able to work on a deeper level and make greater studies strides in the context of private sessions. She's honored to assist and bear witness to each student's hard work and transformation through yoga. She has taken three extended trips to India in the past few years to further her studies, two trips to study it in Mysore yeah. um, with Sharat Joyce there you go. and one to study uh, her other passion Ayurveda with Vasant Lad. Uh, she plans to return to India yearly to continue her studies in both subjects. Uh, her website is uh, WhitneyPatterson.com, um, and her new Mysore program is at Yoga Heights, and it's YogaHeightsDC.com backslash Yoga Heights Mysore. Got to get my glasses next time. Welcome, Whitney. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, is the uh, is the program started already at Yoga Heights? Yeah, we started in May. Um, so we've been going now three months. Yeah. Um, it's been going really well. I mean, Mysore programs can take some time to build. Um, it's a very particular class format, and not many people are familiar with it. Although in the city, there there are some because there's quite a few programs. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, which studio do you run it out of? I know that Yoga Heights has two studios, right? Yeah. So it's their Tacoma location, um, Tacoma Park, DC side. So it's still DC. Um, and we're there Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings. Since we're a new program, we kind of started smaller, uh, just three days a week. Full programs would be six days a week. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's a great experience, both for me as a teacher and also um, I've heard great feedback from the students. Yeah. yeah. Are you doing like, I know it, some uh, Mysore programs do like the Monday through Thursday and then they do like the full primary on Friday. Are you guys doing a full primary too or is it just, uh, yeah? Yeah, we're doing that on Sunday. So Sundays. I guess we have Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Sunday mornings we do the, the lead primary series. Um, that class is open to anyone. So you don't have to be in the MISAR program to come. We have students who just come for that class um, each week and don't do the MISAR also. That's cool. Nice. Yeah. Are you finding it's uh, catching on in popularity? Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm lucky in that there's been so many uh, Mysore teachers there are a lot of students coming in with some experience yeah. which is just so huge as a teacher to not have to do all the education about what they're getting into um, but also then you have they've had different teachers and may have preconceived notions about what Mysore is like and every mm -hmm. teacher is going to be different and have their own style um, and their approach and that is especially true for me mm -hmm. so give me the uh, like you met me in an elevator give me the 10 second elevator pitch for like mm. Mysore on like what it is Ooh, that's so good um, at a basic level Mysore gives you one-on-one -on -one instruction with an instructor in a group setting something that I really love about it is um, I really like the personal practice aspect that you get to practice at your own pace, that you get to um, kind of, you get to mold your practice to yourself and you get to take your time with it, but you also get like this private instruction. I think it's a really good balance of kind of silent private practice, almost like um, 
like a home practice Mm -hmm. with when you need it, either if you ask the teacher a question or if the teacher approaches you and said, hey, can I help you with something? Um, I I think that balance is just great. That being said, I also love going into lead classes, like group classes. I love vinyasa classes. I like, you know, lead primary series classes. And I find having that background where I can do a really strong home practice I can go into these vinyasa classes and I can really, you know, when teachers say like, please feel free to take whatever variations and modifications, I really can lean into that hard. And I know so many different options and I know how to really guide myself through a practice. Um, So I love going into vinyasa classes too. Do you find it, um, uh, this happens to a lot of teachers, especially when I I tell my teacher trainees that their whole lives are going to change after this. Do you ever have any problem in class, like um, letting go of your teacher? like your inner teacher when you're doing class? No. You don't. You just no. you're, you're just you're just listening and going with it. Totally. That's um, so cool. Well, you know, I I feel that way more with some teachers than with others. Some teachers I can totally just get into my own zone. Um maybe if a teacher is stopping and breaking down poses a lot, I start to really pay attention to them more rather than me and what I'm feeling, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um so it could be based on the teacher, but in general no. Um and some of that is because you know, I'm still, I'd call myself a full-time yoga student, um, as well as a teacher. That's Uh, so cool. I I like, I, I still struggle with that sometimes. Like, especially when I get into a class where I'm not engaged by the teacher and I just Mm -hmm. like my critical brain comes out and Mm -hmm. I always find that in a way that's like the best class because like, it tells me like how much work I still need to do about like letting go of like the criticism of like other people and letting go and just kind of focusing on, you know, letting go of what, what I'm doing. Right, mm-hmm. in a class um and so those can be sometimes the most beneficial classes even though at the same time like i'm turned off because the teacher they're not very good or they're not using very cute good cues or the sequence is not very good yeah it's like so what like if you're there to just focus your mind like what are you worried about you know? right right and i think i think that's a really great point like sometimes in classes we can come into contact with things we didn't know we were that was there like different judgment we we have about different yoga teachers or different styles or the way someone's cueing or teaching um and i think that's all really interesting to become aware of and at the same time i also think that um I think that we can have all of those thoughts and be in class and let them kind of pass through us and just realize that they're sort of nothing mm-hmm. no, it's, absolutely <laughs> it's just true. like our mind spinning mm-hmm. right yeah i mean that's you know one of the if there's a purpose to yoga that's it right is right. to let get the mind to stop going and then just be right? yeah which is yeah. difficult how would you describe like if you had an elevator pitch mm-hmm. for the purpose of yoga what would you say so i've actually got a pretty simple one so like yeah. the purpose of yoga is is twofold is to focus uh-huh. um and to uh realize um uh, any practice that brings you closer to um, a union with something. Mm-hmm. So in other words, like, so it's a focus, but it's also like in, in a sense of God or mm-hmm. um, immortality or energy or whatever that other thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it is. It's, it, it can be, it can be vinyasa. It can be yeah. uh, washing your dishes. It can be um, mm-hmm. gardening, yeah. like whatever brings you into that state of mind where you feel a closeness or a oneness with something mm-hmm. greater than yourself. Yeah, interesting. That's what I would describe yoga as. Yeah, I like that. I'd say something similar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um it, it is a uh, it's been you know the the yoga is so ancient and so old. Mm-hmm. It's been um uh, defined in so many ways for the last three thousand years that it's more all encompassing than just 
um, than just one single thing. Like it's it's yeah. very hard. You have to make as broad a um, as broad a, a, a definition as you can. I sort of describe it to my students like um, if you're describing uh, like a car, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, there's certain things that like make a car. Like it's got wheels, it's got an engine, yeah. but like the types of cars are vast right Mm -hmm. there's red cars there's big cars there's small cars there's maseratis there's bmws there's hondas right so all that is sort of like yoga is just like car and then the rest Mm -hmm. of it's kind of just like you know different variations Mm. um yeah that's a good and maybe it's maybe maybe it's even broader than that than cars but yeah no but i think that's at least something that many people can relate to that idea um i've been thinking a lot about recently that you know recently maybe this year is the first time in my yoga practice or in my I don't know career as a yoga teacher um that I've really considered awakening as an actual possibility um which is so interesting that that has never come up before like as a real thing Mm -hmm. and not just as an idea um it really it's really interesting that I've never had that thought before uh, where that's really what it's all leading to anyway, mm-hmm. right? Um, I wonder how many other students are in that place. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're, you know, I think if you're continuing to practice yoga, those uh, those moments happen over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. The trick is not to reach for them, mm-hmm. right? They happen when you have let go of the things that are preventing it from, you know, realization, mm-hmm. right? at least in my own thinking. Right? That's where a lot of people go wrong in yoga. They think they have to, uh, they have to do something more than they're already doing. They have to learn a new skill, yeah. or they have to learn a new pose, or they have to learn a new piece of, um, of, uh, of, of, of philosophy. And that's mm-hmm. not always the case. What you really need to do is strip away some more stuff mm-hmm. that's already inside of you. Mm-hmm. That's that's my one of my great uh, benefits of yoga is the stripping away, right? Yeah. Getting rid of that stuff that doesn't serve you. Yeah, I think um, I really resonate with that. I think in particular the aspect of just doing less too, like both in your yoga practice, maybe doing less postures or uh, spending less time on it or just in your daily life, just doing less of everything, Mm -hmm. right? Like spending time doing absolutely nothing. And that's become a really big practice of mine too, avoiding technique and just trying to do nothing. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard. It's really (laughs) hard. It's really hard. It's a real practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, that is for at least in DC, I found that most, that's what the most students need yeah. is that they need a way to let go of kind of the analytical mind mm-hmm. that is with them for every hour of the day. Yeah. Like, and turning it off is very difficult for a lot of people. Right? So difficult. Yeah. How have you found, how have you found that manifesting itself? Like your awareness? Yeah. Uh, what does it look like or what does it feel like? Yeah, what is, either one, if you can describe yeah. it. I mean, you know what it most often looks like for me when I can really yeah. feel that. Um, I'd like to sit on my back porch in the morning. There's this really nice tree and there's a couple of beautiful trees I can see. And there's a good amount of wildlife. Um, I live in Mount Pleasant. So we're right next to Rock Creek Park. Mm-hmm. Lots of squirrels, um, insects, bugs. And I just sit and I just stare at the tree or I stare up at the sky I live right next to the zoo. Occasionally I can hear the animals. And you can be, be, yeah, exactly. And you can be content in the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I find the beginning of the day, it's a little easier for that before like my mind has woken up. Mm -hmm. I can just sit there and do nothing. 
right? Uh, I find it a little harder, like in the middle of the day to do something like that, or even at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's what my practice, like that practice looks like for me. And what it feels like is um, like spaciousness or like a emptiness, mm-hmm. but a, a, a good feeling emptiness. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's special. I mean, that's kind of what, uh, that's what I eventually want to come to is yeah. um, a feeling of contentment from the moment I work, wake up to the moment I go to bed. Like that's my sort of goal is to like, just be, be content and not have, not have goals other than that. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) yeah, it's definitely a work in progress and has not absolutely nothing to do with doing crow pose. Um, how did you, how did you, uh, how'd you get started in yoga? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I started dabbling in yoga in high school. I had a, a anger teacher that I would go to maybe once a week or twice a month. Um, and I feel like at the time I was I was into athletics. I played a lot of sports, mm-hmm. um, like kind of all the sports I played, and it, it helped me physically, um, just staying limber and some of the mental focus. Um, when I got into college, I did a little bit more. I had to do yo- uh, PE credits to graduate, mm-hmm. and so I chose yoga classes. And I happened to just meet really great teachers. Like what I've noticed for me is I've been less attracted to specific styles but specific teachers and then whatever their style was like I sort of just got into that Mm -hmm. um so I happened to meet really great teachers my first teacher that really made an impact on me was um she was an ex-dancer and uh she taught sort of like a vinyasa style class but I just liked her personality I felt relaxed when I went in and um I just felt spaciousness for the first time maybe ever Mm -hmm. um after that, I got really into Anyasara. There were some teachers. I lived in New Hampshire um, where I was in college. I got really into that. I just connected with those teachers. And then when I was uh, 19, I took a semester off and I did a yoga teacher training. Wow. That's yeah. really young. <laughs> that was really young. Yeah. I went to uh, the Bahamas. It was, there's an ashram, the oh, Shivananda yeah. ashram. The Shivananda. Yeah. This is a popular place for yeah. uh, DC yogis. Yeah. Yeah. So I went there. I was really young and I... I just did their teacher training. It was something that happened very spontaneously, like a week before it started, I decided. Mm-hmm. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what Shivananda yoga is like, it's a very traditional Hatha yoga style. Um, you do an asana, a posture, and then you do Shavasana. So you do that between each asana. Um, and how long, do you do, how long do you hold each asana? <sighs> I can't recall. I haven't practiced Shivananda in a while, <laughs> to be honest. But it's like it's one of the where you hold you hold it for it's at yeah. least more than like a minute. It's like it's yeah. like kind of like letting the posture like take shape and then like yeah. Totally. And they really they you know, it's a very holistic their their training. There's a lot of emphasis on meditation and chanting. Um two hours each day of uh beginning of the day and end of the day. You'd be doing seated meditation and chanting. Um, I was totally freaked out. Yeah, tell me about that. Is right. it my, is it like <laughs> teenagers not known for their patience, right? No, and I I called my mom about halfway through and I said, this is really weird. You know, like, I don't know if I want to do this. It's, it was so unfamiliar. Like, yeah. y- you and I talked a little bit. We're from kind of the same area. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up with any of this stuff. My parents are not hippies, right? I had no exposure to yoga, to meditation, to chanting, to an ashram lifestyle. And I thought it was really weird. 
Um, so when I, I called my mom, she said, you know, just, just stay a few more days. I was already halfway through. And, and if you still want to come home, then come home. And after staying a few days, I thought, well, I'm almost done. I might as well like continue on with this. Reflecting on it, now I look at that experience. I'm so grateful that I got such a unique yoga teacher training experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the people that I talk to who are trained even just in D.C., like so different the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really grateful for that first immersion into yoga. Yeah. Um, I want to say it felt authentic, but I don't even really know what that means. But it, it felt authentic and yeah. it feels authentic when I look back on it. Um, I mean, authentic changes from, from where time to time in your life, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Isn't it amazing how wise parents are? Oh my God. I, I can't remember the amount of times where I've wanted to quit something and my parents were like, just give it like another day. And then like, I ended up falling in love with it. Right. Yeah, I know. And that's the craziest thing. It's yeah. become such a huge part of my life. And who knows what it would have happened if she just said, yeah, come home, mm-hmm. just come home right now. Um, and I've done a lot of, you know, since then I've done a lot of different yoga related things. I lived at Kripalu for two years. Um, so I did, you know, a lot of Kripalu yoga and I was exposed to a lot of different styles. Um, just being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a volunteer position. I worked there and I got to take a lot of programs for free. So I got exposed to a lot, including Kripalu yoga. Um, and, and then the story continues. I mean, there's yeah. many, many different things that I've studied. I studied. Cause I always feel like living in Kripalu is sort of like, like growing up as like the, like the, the daughter or son of like a famous actress in LA. Like just like, no, seriously, like, like, cause the amount of people who go to Kripalu, like, yeah. like famous yogis who stop by there and do yeah. like, and you get to see all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's sort of like, yes, when I was growing up, of course, Bruce Springsteen <laughs> was just hanging out with my mom by the pool, you know? It's, totally. Yeah. Right? I met a lot of like, <laughs> yoga celebrities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you have a favorite? Was there one you can really remember? You know, I've always, this is not a yoga celebrity, but I've always, for a long time, I've loved Tara Brock. Yeah. She's... Special person. She's one of my favorites. I know. Um, Tara, if you're out there, come on the show. Yeah. Sorry, that's my plug. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I've had, you know, and that's just in terms of some of my experience, and, and there's been other things, and after that point, I did a lot of continuing education as well. Um, but to be honest, Chris, like I, I feel like it's only been the last few years what it, where my practice really feels like it's deepened. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look back at that time, I think about myself like, wow, I didn't get it. Like I was doing a lot. I was learning a lot. I was exposed to a lot, but I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I didn't get what I was doing. I just wanted to feel better mm-hmm. at that time. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, so it's, uh, it's a line, um, that I sometimes talk about between like, uh, knowledge and experience mm-hmm. where it is like knowledge is something you attain, um, it gives you understanding, uh, but without experience, there is no wisdom. Yeah. Right. And so when you really start to, you can understand something, but until you actually experience it in your daily life, you don't really know it. Like, totally. and that just happens with time. And if you're lucky, um, every six months, a year, like that will sink in and you will mm-hmm. realize that like, okay, like I really didn't know anything before. Now I know something. And six months from now, oh, <laughs> yes, now I know something. You yeah. Know? Cause, cause it, I think it can be yeah. quite easy to go through just kind of, uh, float through, um, throat, th- float through existence, um, without having those moments. And, mm-hmm. um, 
that really are powerful. That's to me what makes life worth living is mm. gaining wisdom through experience. And that's the, you know, that's the best teacher of all. Yeah. Right. Cause you can read a book and like, honestly, I say this to my students all the time, you know, 500 years from now, 80% of everything you know is going to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, think about like, you know, the, the 13th century, right we know we know like 80 yeah. percent of what they was you know believe was wrong so yeah. um so knowledge will change but like yeah. your wisdom your experience that will never change mm. right that's always there that's such a good point did you did you start teaching right away like after you got back from your from the bahamas like did you start teaching in college or? i taught my friends yeah, yeah so i lived in a, a big old house um with about 15 other people and i would teach my friends i would i would practice maybe i'd have one friend practice with me i'd show them some things um, I didn't really start teaching classes until I had graduated college. Um, I had a great mentor coming out of college, and I anger teacher, and she would regularly have like fifty people in her classes, right? <sighs> and so I was teaching in her studio. I had really small classes, and she was so kind to me. And she said, "I want you to start subbing my classes. Like, I want you to have that experience to get in front of a lot of people as a new teacher, and like." see what happens um what was that like the first time it was super scary and i, I did bet. a lot of pre-planning you know like these days i don't plan as much specifics i'll kind of plan structure now you want it to be perfect i planned everything and i tried to say <laughs> everything perfectly in sanskrit like the full names of everything and uh it was probably pretty silly <laughs> I'm sure it was great. Did you like, yeah. did you fall right into it? Like, you know, there was the first couple of minutes where like, whatever. And then you just kind of like got going. I can't remember that. Well, I think I was really nervous and like, um, Blacked I it out later. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I was really nervous. Um, and you know, it's been really interesting. You know, I, I taught part time for a while and then maybe five or six years ago, I started teaching full time and, um, have that be like, my primary source of income and, and what I do with my time. Um, I thought I had to have a natural gift at it mm -hmm. in order to be good at it, but it turns out it doesn't have to be the case. Like I've gotten better. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's been interesting too, to think that you need to be gifted at something before doing the thing. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very, that's very uh, like a, a East Coast American thing. Yeah. yeah it really yeah. is. The East Coast thing anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, and I also think it's a perfectionist thing too. Wanting to be Absolutely. good at something before you start doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Preparing enough so that you are already good and you don't have to be vulnerable right. in that learning process. Right, like as if um, you're the expert before you become the expert, Totally. Right? And yeah. like that definitely was there too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you, um, when you first, uh, were you doing something else? Were you working full time? What was I doing? So in DC, I managed some studios. Did you move, did you move to DC after college or were you like? After Kripalu. After Kripalu, okay. Yeah. So at the time my parents were living in Falls Church. I was in my early twenties. Mm -hmm. I moved in with them for a little bit. I got connected into the DC yoga scene. And then when they moved, I just stayed. I was kind of established and was mm -hmm. already teaching and wanted to see what was here for me. Um, and at that time I was, I guess I was teaching part-time cause I managed some studios. Um, I like did group fitness at a gym. Where did you land when you, when you came into DC? Where did I land? Yeah. Where did, like, yeah. What studios were you at? 
one of the first people I met was Emma Saul oh, Epic yeah. Yoga. Epic. And I, I was like one of their starting teachers when they first opened. Mm-hmm. She and I met in a um she and I met in a vinyasa class in Falls Church at um oh, what was that place called? The Baptiste Studio. I don't know. Okay. So we met know. in a class, started talking. And then I ended up teaching there. That was my first studio in DC. That That's I cool. In. That's a great studio. It's a great studio. It's, a, it's an awesome space. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And where yeah. did you? When did you? Where did you teach group, teach group fitness? Um, that was at Balance Gym. At Balance. What did mm-hmm. you teach? Oh, I didn't teach group fitness. I uh, uh, I organized the teachers. Ah. Yeah. So you had my job. Is that right? What is your job? So my job. I'm the group fitness group fitness manager at Beauty Yards. Yes, I had that job. Really? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Like, it was um, it helped me to teach more classes because I could basically you know teach a lot at the gym because I was you know helping to organize the schedule, mm-hmm. and it gave me a lot of experience. So I'm super grateful for that job yeah. and that place they learned a lot were you there. at the one up in woodley park or you were the, or, uh, uh, thomas circle, thomas circle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so that that really like that gave me a lot of experience and has led me to where i am now that's so cool yeah um yeah that's amazing i didn't yeah. i didn't know that yeah that's really cool mm-hmm. um did you ever teach anything besides yoga did you ever get into like pilates or, like group <sighs> fitness or cycle or anything um i've teach i've taught some pilates yeah, yeah but not not anything else um not because I don't like it. It's just didn't really call to me in terms of teaching. Yeah, no, I was thinking as like a former athlete, you might be like, you might get a little itch, like a little itch. You're like, oh, that kind of looks kind of fun. Yeah, (laughs) no, and I I still love athletics. Um, I just only have a limited amount of time, so I mostly focus on yoga. And as you saw, I cycle around a lot, Mm -hmm. so the biking helps get out some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What were you teaching at the time? Were you teaching like a vinyasa class or this is before you kind of found like Ashtanga and started doing Mysore? Yeah, I had been introduced to Mysore when I was living up at Kripalu. There was a studio nearby, so I had some introduction, but I didn't, I hadn't at that time started practice regularly. Um, When I was first teaching in DC, I was teaching vinyasa classes and I'd say it was a conglomeration of a bunch of different things that I had learned, like some Anyasara stuff, some Iyengar stuff, like Mm -hmm. maybe some Shivananda stuff. Um, and I remember at the time, you know, as a new teacher, I think a lot of new teachers are really eager to teach a really good class that students like. And so I definitely was leaning into that hard. Like I taught a lot of arm balances. I taught of just like a lot of really challenging classes. The DC power yoga scene. Totally. I was fully, (laughs) like fully doing that. And I just wanted people to have like a great time. It wasn't really about anything else at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Let's, let's stipulate that. that for listeners. Totally. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes. Yeah. I, I tell students all the time, like with my asana practice, my postures, sometimes I do it just because I find it really fun. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not necessarily spiritual all the time. And that's OK. Just as long as you're being real about what you're doing. Yeah. Right. Um, and why you're doing it and kind of all this stuff. That's totally true. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, so I, I taught vinyasa classes for a while, and I really enjoyed that. I think I struggled a little bit to not have guidance around how I was teaching those classes. Um, but then there's also the other aspect, which is you have a lot of freedom and you have a lot of creativity, which is great, too. Um, that balance is hard to strike mm-hmm. uh, between structure and creativity as a teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how lo- How many? So you went full-time yoga. Yeah. How many classes a week were you teaching when you went full-time yoga? Were you, oh, um, did you, do, you know, 
I can't remember, probably some t- somewhere between 10 and 20, yeah. probably 15. When I was doing the Group X stuff, mm-hmm. I was also getting paid for that. So I didn't have to, I kind of transitioned into full-time. Um, and so I was teaching maybe half classes and then I was doing half of the organizing the other teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, when I really started teaching full-time was when I started doing more privates just cause it was more sustainable. Um, and something I got a lot more out of and the students also got a lot more out of. That's how I really transitioned into only teaching. Yeah. So we were talking about this before the show. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you teach a lot of privates. I do. Yeah. You said like what, 15 a week, sometimes 14 a week. Uh, yeah. So between 15 and 20. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that really is like living the dream, right? Like it is. being able to work one-on-one with somebody who really values like what mm-hmm. you have to teach and is, yeah. you know, so personable. And yeah. I don't know, I think that's really special that you can have that. Yeah. I, I really love it. Um, it's taken a long time to build. Um, but I, I do think in some sense it is living the dream. One thing that I sometimes miss is having more impact, right? I only get to interact with so many students, mm-hmm. um, but I have more depth with each student. I have a real relationship. And, you know, as I mentioned, we were, we were talking, I really learned about how to do that in the Mysore room, about mm-hmm. having that experience of working one-on-one with a teacher and what that's like. And, um, just how transformative that can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I try when I do teach classes, I teach two classes a week. Um, I try to give that to the students as much as possible, like help a student one-on-one and give them that experience. But it's really hard in a group class. I mean, they're different skill sets. Completely. Right? This is, I mean, you know, this is a group fitness manager. Like, it's a yeah. very different, very big difference between being a personal trainer and being a group fitness instructor. Totally. Right. And usually one cannot do the other very well. Right. In a lot yeah. of circumstances. Like, yeah. I do think you can learn, you know, oh, absolutely. one versus the other. But I, I do, I do think I'm actually better teaching privates and group classes. Um, that might be, I'm a little bit introverted. Like that is a lot of comfort in that one-to-one setting. I mean, look, there's a, you gotta be a little bit of a diva to teach group classes. Totally. <laughs> you know, you, you, want, gotta, you gotta want the spotlight. You, a little exactly. Bit. You gotta want to, you gotta be a little bit of a diva. It's not I see Panama smiling over there. Yeah. I'm a yeah. diva of Panama. Oh, do you teach a lot of group? <laughs> Only group. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's actually ironic. I, um, I teach many more, uh, semi-private and private Pilates classes. Oh, nice. Um, I, not a week goes by without someone asking me to teach a Pilates private. I have can count oh, on my, nice. I can count on my hand since I started teaching yoga. How many people asked me for a yoga private? Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. I guess they just like look at me and they're like, well, like you look strong. Can you teach me Pilates? <laughs> You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. So there's something there's that if you know out there, please email. I don't know. There's something out there that just doesn't like people don't ask me for yoga privates. Huh? I don't know why that is. I know me either. Um, so, um, what got you into Mysore? Yeah. So I, speaking of balanced gym, mm-hmm. I, um, was reintroduced to, I guess it would be Ashtanga first. And, and Ashtanga obviously is like a broad umbrella of like the eight limbs, but like Mysore style Ashtanga right. um, with Michael Hall. And he was doing like a, maybe it was a half lead primary at balance while I was working there. Mm-hmm. So I'd pop in there sometimes and I had had some exposure. And again, like just in terms of following teachers, I really liked Michael. And so I kind of wanted to go and hang out with him. I'm like, hard not to like, yeah, he's very likable. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And so I ended up turning up there a bit and decided I wanted to learn more from him. And so I started going to his Meister program when he was up at Kali Yoga, which is uh, now a new owner. Um, and I started doing that. And, you know, this is something that I told him a couple months ago. Um, but I noticed some shifts immediately when I started practicing regularly um, in my nervous system, like in just the general rhythm of my body. If any yoga teachers are listening to this, like you can, you probably know that it's sometimes hard to create some rhythm in your schedule. Like you might be teaching classes at random parts of the day. Every day looks different. Um, Mm -hmm. That can be a real challenge. And that was something that was really helpful with me with my sore. I'd reserve time in the morning, like practice every single day. And then whatever the rest of my day looked like is what it looked like. Um, But having like a consistent thing that I did each day where I was moving with my breath and I was moving my body um, really helped. I had a lot of issues with sleep, like, even after practicing yoga for quite a long time, um, that got a lot better mm. really quick. I'd say within the first two weeks or one month. Wow. Um, I also like, again, I had been practicing yoga at that time. I don't know, seven or eight years. Um, I was on antidepressant and within the first month, like I came off of that. I had some really significant physical changes um, and so I just got curious. I thought, what's going on here? Like, I want to do more. I want to learn more. And when I look back at that time, I really think, um, I think that the style was important and I think, but I think more so than that, the rhythm was really important that having a consistent practice at about the same time every day where I was moving with our breath and moving with my body. And I felt really internal. Yeah. It's discipline. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, that's how I started. Yeah. And and I kept going because I just noticed I was receiving so many benefits. And, you know, pretty basic stuff like, you know, sleep, better digestion, like better energy, stuff exactly. like that. Um, I continued, you know, I continued for a lot of reasons, but really there was a deepening, right, that was not about just getting my basic needs met. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just continued on. Like I'm still learning every day and like, my practice is deepening every day mm-hmm. in subtle ways. Um, yeah. So take us through. So I'm going to go to my first Mysore class. Sure. Like take us through like the very first day. Mm. Like what you're going to tell me, like what, what I'm going to do. And then, and then, and then kind of like go and then go on like a couple of like weeks in the future and then yeah. a couple of months in the future and show me like, because I think it's you know confusing to some people, especially to me, you know, mm-hmm. who's who you see the group classes. You go mm-hmm. in, you do the class. Yeah. over but my sore is a little bit more than that yeah you know. so you want to know like what i'd say to a new student and yeah or like what yeah. you would do like if it's the first day what am i going to do like physically yeah. what am i going to do for asana for you know or am yeah. i going to meditate first or maybe do pranayama what am i going to do yeah you know? good question um one of the first things i always ask a student is why are you here what made you turn up what made you get up at an ungodly hour and turn up here <laughs> <laughs> right like most people have some sort of reason And it's really useful for me to know because in this context, you're teaching to an individual, right? And so I want to know what I'm teaching to. Do you have a physical issue? Is there a medical condition? Is there a big transition you're going through in your life? Mm -hmm. It can be any number of things. And that will really change how I'm approaching them as a student. So I'd always ask, you know, 
why are you here? What what made you turn up? How'd you hear about us? So I'm here because uh, I want to like make I want to do a really deep backbend and do a handstand. All right, cool. And I'd probably say something like, that is awesome. I love backbends and handstands also. Just like affirming to the student, whatever their reason is, great. I'm happy you're here. Even if I think it's superficial, although I don't think that's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's fine. So affirming that. And then, you know, I tell them a little bit about the space. Like, you know, I could say, if you've never been in a MySore room, this is what it looks like. You can see different students are practicing at their own pace. The room generally is pretty quiet. You can hear people breathing. Um, you can come and go at your own time during the window that the room is open. And I might just tell them logistical things about like how to set up and how mm-hmm. to ask for help and things like that. Uh, in terms of what you'd be doing on a first day, some of that depends on your experience, right? If you have if you've taken yoga before, if it's your first class ever. Um, but mostly you're not going to have a super long practice in the beginning. Part of it is because you're memorizing the sequence and you can only memorize so much at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also depends on the person. If you're already a yoga teacher and you're coming in, you might know a lot of the postures already and you could do more than someone who's brand new. So, you know, I'd tell them a little bit about my approach also. I'd ask them um, maybe what it is that they need from me, like give them a chance to have some dialogue. And that's something I also love about the Meister style or just private yoga. It's not just me talking to them. They also get to interact with me and ask mm-hmm. me questions. And So they're going to do like, so for the sake of argument, that like yeah. I'm like going to walk in and like, okay, I'm a yoga teacher yeah. and like I'm pretty proficient in asana. Yeah. Um, like, Am I going to start with like sun salutations? Am I going to start with like the standing series? Like, what am I going to start with? Like, and then, and then is it, I'm memorizing sun salutations and I'm memorizing the standing series and then I'm just going from posture to posture to the next posture. Correct. Yeah. 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 So everyone would start with sun salutations. Even if you know a lot, you're going to do what a total beginner would do also, which is sun salutations. Then you do some standing postures. If you get through that, I'd usually ask the student, how's your energy? How's your physical energy? How's your mental energy? Do you want to learn more today or is this enough? I'd let them give me an answer. If they want to learn more, I'm going to teach them until either they say I've had enough or I might say, I might suggest you stop here. But if you really want to continue, I'll teach you. I do let the student give some guidance if they're responding in that way. Uh, Some Mysore teachers have the stance that I'm in charge and I'll decide where you start and where you stop. That's not really my approach. Um, it's more relational. It's more of a dialogue. How much do you want to do? I can give you some guidance as to how much I think you should do, but it's still really up to you uh, what we do here. Um, and then just as to your question, yeah, so you'd be doing standing poses. Maybe you'd do some balance poses. Maybe you'd do some seated postures. And then at the end, you do finishing series, which would be some back bends, some inversions, some seated postures, either cross leg or lotus, and then you'd rest at the end. So I would actually go further on in the, so th- there's different, so there's different sequences, mm-hmm. right, within Ashtanga. So yeah. I would actually, I would actually then go on and do further stuff in like the primary or what I would, or, yeah. okay, so I would actually, so it's not just like, okay, I'm only up to warrior two, I've got to stop at warrior two and go. Like you're actually going to do other stuff within the sequence. You're going to do as much as we get through primary series, then whether either you've had enough or I think or I give you the advice you've had enough, then we'll go to closing. Gotcha. Closing is back bends, inversions. 
I got and, you. Yeah. And so that's standard. Like you, you have you have a standard closing. Totally. But gotcha. for a brand new student, maybe they've never taken a yoga class. I might for that have them do a bridge pose and then legs up the wall. Right. Because I can't just say, OK, now do a headstand. Right. Right. It's baby steps. Um, so that might be what their closing looks like. Maybe a supported bridge with a block and then they put their legs up the wall for five minutes and then they rest and they're good to go. Right. So it can really look different person to person. Um, I use props. I like to use, you know, blocks, blankets, straps, um, yoga chairs, yoga mm-hmm. wheels, whatever I have around, walls. Um, and so that could be part of it too, like really making it work for different bodies, um, different ages, different bodies, different sizes. You have to get creative sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that like, that is really fun for me. I love figuring it out for some, or like helping someone figure it out. Someone said to me the other day, it's like, um, like a a co-discovery or co-explorer when you're teaching in that way. Like Mm -hmm. I'm helping you to explore. Let's try this. Did that work? Okay, no, let's try Let's try something else. Or, and like really having that relationship is really rewarding for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, so I would do this basically however many days a week there are. And then I would do, and then I would participate in the lead primary either at the, at the end of the week sometime. Is that right? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, the lead primary class is more about just practice. So there's not a lot of instruction. If you're brand new, you might not feel like you want to go straight into that. You might want to do some learning first. But that being said, like, it's okay for a student to come in and do what they can do and then just sit or rest for the rest of it or, you know, as they like. It's really, I, in, 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 as a teacher, like, I am not very strict. And that's just been my experience, what has worked for me. Some students you're more strict with, some students you're less strict with. You feel that out as you get to know them. Mm-hmm. But um, students can come into lead primary and they just do what you can do and then sometimes you can watch the other students and get inspired oh, by you that. Should, you should, you should, you should, you should, you should see me take class. Yeah. Like they're like, you need a block and a strap. And I go to the back of the room and I grab one of everything. <laughs> like there, it's like a fucking yard sale around yeah. my mat. I'm yeah. like, I'm going to use bolsters. I'm going right. to use blankets. Like I'm going to have my knees on the ground. Like yeah. totally, <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. I, I love using props. Yeah. You can get really creative with them. Yeah. Um, so what led you to your first excursion to India? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Okay. That was, I um, can't remember what year that was. It might've been 2015 or 16. Years are immaterial. doesn't matter. Um, I was practicing with Michael and I can't remember if he suggested it or if I just became interested in going because he had gone and I was really curious about it. Um, my first trip, I went for a month and I went to um, the what was then KPJAYI, and now it's everything has sort of shifted. Um, Sherrod has a new center, and his mom took over the old center. Everything's changing names. Then it was KPJAYI, and um, it's in a little suburb outside of Mysore, and you go there, and you just practice uh, in the mornings, and you do some chanting classes during the day, and otherwise you have quite a bit of free time to just be in India. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of infrastructure built around that area for yoga students. If you want to be learning other things, there's lots of different things you can learn. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that experience like? Well, I'd already been to India 
prior to that trip. I had done in 2012, uh, I spent four months in Pune uh, doing Ayurvedic clinical studies. Um, and so I'd, I'd had exposure to India, which is oftentimes in your first trip, the hardest thing, just yeah. like it's intense. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of smells, it's really unfamiliar. Um, so I didn't go through much of that because I had already spent some time there. Um, in that first trip, I lived with a family. Um, trips after that, I rented my own apartment. But that was kind of an in interesting experience yeah. in terms of immersion. Mm -hmm. um, having like an Indian mama and papa who would sometimes cook me food and kind of take care of me. That was actually very nice. I bet. That sounds super sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you go away. It's still being away from home. And I'm a big baby and I get homesick. <laughs> you know, like I get homesick. And, uh, and Awareness just, is what yeah, we're looking for. Yes, awareness. Yeah. And I, and I miss some of the comforts here. Like the beds are hard. And like there's just not the same level of comfort. Mm -hmm. Um. To be honest, my trips to Mysore were powerful in the sense of connecting with other yogis who live around the world. I now have friends who live all over the world, which is so cool. Yeah. I just, that's something I love. Um, in terms of the practice, I can't say that it was really transformational and really powerful, but I, it gave me a lot of context for the practice, right? Like, so it's like when you're when you're there, is like Sharat like walking around to all the students, or yeah. is it like forty different Dashtanga teachers walking around to students? Because I imagine there's lots yeah. of people doing the training. No, I mean yeah, there's a lot of assistance. Yeah. So, but it's it's really self practice. There's very little instruction when you go there, and that is a particular way to teach Mysore, where it's like you can the students going to figure it out, and you don't have to use so many words. Isn't that sort of like owning a restaurant and expecting the you know, patrons to bring the food and cook it themselves? Sort of. <laughs> I mean, it's just so different than what we're doing here. Right. Right. It's like, I think there's some value in it. I, I think there's value in all the different approaches. Using a lot of verbal instruction, hands-on assist, letting someone just figure it out. Like, I think there's value in all those approaches. And um, there, there was value that I got from that experience. I wasn't the kind of student that ever... I didn't meet Sherrod or study with him and think, oh my God, this is my teacher. Yeah, right. I just didn't. I didn't have that feeling about him. Um, and so it was an interesting experience being there, but not being so invested in him or like the community. I didn't feel a real part of the community, which was okay for me. Like yeah. that's a, that's a comfortable place for me to be sort of like there, but also on the outskirts, like doing my own thing. Um, when they passed around the punch, you, you were like, no, that's okay. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, that's, that is both a great thing about me and also probably one of my faults, right? It's like, you see me in the DC yoga community. I'm not that involved. Right. Right. Like I sort of like doing my own thing on the outskirts. Um, so that was my experience there. Like I've been there twice. The second time I did two months and, you know, what's great about being there is I just get to be a student. And I'm so far away from home, can't get any work done. I, I do a lot of nothing, a whole lot of nothing. And that's also a beautiful part of 
being there. Mm-hmm. Um, just getting a chance to f- be fully immersed in the student role. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you asked me if it was hard to transition from teacher to student, yeah. like going to classes. Um, it's, it isn't really, but if it were, that would be even more pow- powerful experience to just yeah. drop teaching for a month or two. Um, yeah. So, I mean, my source mix, there's, there's a, a lot of great things about going there. There's a lot of really challenging things about India. Um, there's a lot of cultural things I feel mixed about. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things I could feel mixed about with Ashtanga community, with Sharat. At this point, I try to just focus on the yoga. Yeah. You know, and like not the drama around it. Because that's really where it's at, right? Like most not, most not drama is self-imposed. Yeah. Let's be yeah. honest here. Most drama is self-imposed. There are some very yeah. there are some very serious issues that need to be addressed in the yoga community. Totally. Um, for sure. But um uh a lot of but there's a lot of drama that doesn't need to be there. Totally. About, about stuff that doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. And there, you know, it, there, it takes away from the stuff that does matter. And yes. that's the problem. Right. That's the problem. Something that, mm. you know, and there have been things that have Sharat has said that I've really connected with. And one thing he said is um, yoga is the superstar here. It's like, and nobody owns it. Right. Yeah. And nobody is in charge of the conversation. And everyone gets to even a, a first time yoga student gets to have some input about what they think about yoga. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. So. I think just Ashtanga is challenging in that way because there's a lot of opinions within the oh, community. Yes. People are outside the community. Everyone's got an opinion. Like I try to not be involved. Which, Do you think it's yeah. because, so I have this kind of like feeling that um, Ashtanga sort of um, attracts and correct me if I'm wrong. It, sort of, it attracts a certain type of human that likes black and white answers that likes things to be a certain way and things are a certain way. Do you know what I mean? Do you <laughs> totally. know? Yeah. yeah. Like, and there, and that is like kind of the, that's kind of the root of like, well, you know, you need to do this in a revolve triangle. You need to do this. And it's, you know, it's, it's, there is a right way and a wrong way. And it sort of attracts that kind of personality in a lot of ways. I think you're right. Um, I also think though, if you practice Ashtanga or anything or any yoga tradition long enough, it will break you of that. Yeah. It just will. It will soften you. It will confuse you. It will make you change your mind back and forth, back and forth about things. And again, like I think that's any yoga tradition. If you if you do something enough, you can't keep those opinions, those really hard lines. Like, no. I mean, if you're living like if you're living truly, yeah. it's uh, it's hard. You, you can't live that way. You can't. It's hard to live that way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, Ashtanga's all right, you know, like, and I've learned so much from it. I'm not so attached to it as a system, even though I think it's a really good system and a framework that I like, but I, my personal practice uses it as a framework and then I do my own thing. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, what do you have time for your personal practice? Yeah, I do. Like, do you do that in the morning still or is it? Yeah, I'll do it after I teach the Mysore program. So um, I teach there six to eight and then I practice like eight to 10 or however much time, eight to nine, however much time I have on a day. And uh, I do what I have time for. I do what I have energy for. I do what feels appropriate. Um, I don't always do, I'm cheating. I don't always do the vinyasas, <laughs> right? Like, um, 
and I've really my practice has just softened a lot. Like I try not to push. Mm. I I try not to um, strive too much. If I'm having fun, I have fun. If I'm exhausted, I let myself be tired. But mm. I always do something. I always tell people how many fucking push ups you got to do in one day. <laughs> Seriously, none. Like, exactly. Like <laughs> if you did maybe ten push ups a day, you'd be fine. You don't need to do like a million no. push ups. Right. Yeah, or like five like, real good ones. Exactly, or like yeah, yeah. There's there's no point like doing more than that, right? Yeah. Your body doesn't need it. Yeah, I. Yeah, so I think it's a natural. You see a lot of the, not a lot of some senior teachers who first studied Ashtanga. A great example are like the people who created Yoga Works. They were mm-hmm. like real Ashtangis, and then they started teaching Vinyasa. Like it gives you a good framework to then you're like, okay, I know some postures, and I like know how to self practice. And I think it's a natural evolution to start doing some of your own thing within reason, right? You don't want to move too far away from a tradition. But you also don't want to be confined by a tradition either. There, there's a balance there. Yeah, that's what we call innovation. Yeah. So kind of what drives the world, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that naturally happens. You don't even have to, you don't even have to try. Mm-hmm. Don't even have to try. Um, any good uh, yoga resources that you turn to over and over again, whether that's online or like a book or like uh, anywhere that like other students can kind of get a primer on like what you what you're learning yeah right now mm-hmm. um so one book i'm reading right now is oh gosh i'm forgetting the title but the the um author is rick weinman mm-hmm. and it's a book about um awakening and has nothing to do with yoga and has some, the la- the title is something veils at the end mm-hmm. i'm so into it it's i'm so bored with yoga asana unless i'm actually just doing it and just being with my posture mm-hmm. i don't really read about yoga asana and i don't really no no do that's what i mean anymore. like anything like you read about like oh. philosophy or like or psychology or bhakti or like oh. you know anything like that yeah yeah um another book i'm reading right now is the story of mila repa which is a tibetan uh monk mm-hmm. i like reading biographies i like hearing about different spiritual teachers biographies um that has been really great uh listen to a lot of podcasts mention tara brock i love her podcast yeah, she's great if you haven't listened to tara's, tara's podcast it's, it's pretty special yeah yeah in terms of if i want to get an ashtanga fix um i like the ashtanga dish patch they have different teachers come on and you know, talk about all different things their you know um yoga practice or their teaching uh sometimes it's philosophy talks sometimes it's really anything um david griggs who's a certified ashtanga teacher has a podcast he talks a lot about philosophy and has a really creative take on it mm-hmm. i love that i love his podcasts he's so inspired about yeah. teaching philosophy um yeah those are the things some of the things i'm reading and listening to um I'm trying to think is anything else online that i like that's mostly it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other yoga books. Yeah. Those podcasts and, and those two books are what's up for me right now. Cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, if people want to come take Mysore with you, they'll they'll go to the um, Yoga Heights website or go to your personal website. Yeah. You can get links to the Mysore program through my website or you can just go straight to yogaheightsdc.com uh, backslash Mysore, Mysore or just turn up. Right. Like yeah. I'm there hanging out i'd love to meet you and see you um 
we try to have a good time and also like have a real dedicated practice. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a dedicated practitioner, but I'm not serious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Wendy, for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, you've been listening to the DC Yoga podcast and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye.